So this is our ongoing discussion of Simon Don's individuation in light of notions of form and, in and information. We're starting from page 241 of the translation in part two of the book on vital individuation. And, and within that part, it's chapter two, section two, subsection four. I always forget to um, check that before we start. But so last time we saw discussion of the stages of life. Um, I guess is the way to put it. So the relationship between youth and maturity and old age as different stages of life. And uh, Simon Don argues that maturity or the, the stage of maturity is the, the most sort of representative of what an individual is. So it's, it's at the stage of maturity that the individual is the most of what they are, I guess we could say, rather than so in the way that a lifespan is spreading out of the individual over time, um, it's it's the midpoint of that spread of that um, of that series that that serves as the more fundamental or the most the most real point of that uh, series. So yeah, the 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 notion of maturity is the key one there, and we also saw. Just before that discussion of maturity, the two different notions of, of death or the two different aspects of death that Simon Don distinguishes. So on the one hand, there's this sort of external character of death or external nature of, of, of death. Uh, so insofar as an individual is undergoing processes of individuation in response to something in its environment. Uh, so the environment poses a, a problem of some kind and the individual undergoes a process of individuation as a, a resolution of that problem. But there's always, to some extent, or there's always the possibility of, of a failure to solve the problem or um, an incomplete solution of the problem. So the environment continues to pose problems, uh, and eventually the organism is not uh, capable of solving those problems. And so this is a, an external notion of death. Then in contrast to this, we have the, the in, internal notion of death or the internal aspect of death, which is has to do with um, the way the individuation process has a, a certain remainder to it or a certain entropy. Uh, it uses up the um, the potentials of the individuating organism. Uh, he points to the way that tissues kept in a, a petri dish or in a, a lab setting or whatever as long as you keep as long as you prevent them from growing into a, a mass of too big too big of a mass so that it starts differentiating so as long as you keep it in a, a small enough size that it, it doesn't differentiate then it will it will live on indefinitely uh, so it's only once it undergoes differentiation into different forms of tissue and different organs and so on that it, it has a determinate lifespan. And uh, and so Simono points to this as, as evidence that there's a certain sort of uh, correspondence between individuation and individuation and uh, using up of potentials. And so this would be an internal notion of death because it's uh, a death that comes just from the process of individuation itself rather than from uh, something that the environment does to the organism or, or a problem that the environment poses to the organism. So that's what we saw last time, those two notions of death and then the um, the account of maturity as being the highest degree of existence of the individual. Uh, and then the last line here that we saw was um, about Lucretius's uh, metaphor or image of the, the generations uh, of living beings 
who pass the torch from one another one to another um in a relay race so one generation carries the torch for a while and then passes it on to the next one who carries it and passes it on in, in turn so simon Dome is going to look now at the uh, the relationship between individuation and the collective, uh, so the way that the the individual fits into a, co- a collective and, and what that means for individuation. So that's what we're going to see today. Okay, so I'll start reading from the top of 241. Uh, I think this is another one of these multi-page paragraphs, so I'll read uh, about a page or so, and then we can stop to discuss. For species in which complete and distinct individuals do not exist, this inactuality of young and old never forms to the same extent. The colony or vital ensemble circulates a perpetual actuality in the different parts of the being. In superior species, accentuated ontogenesis and its correlate in, in old age, phase shifts the, the individual from one end to the other with respect to this actuality of the collective. The individuated being is not in phase with life, properly speaking, except in its maturity. And this is precisely the resolution of the problem that only the individuation of separate beings can achieve. The colony is fixed in its perpetual actuality. It cannot detach itself or phase shift from end to end relative to its present. It can only react and develop according to continuity. Life, which comes up with ontogenesis and aging through the invention of the separated individual, creates this end to end phase shift of each individuated being relative to the collective and to the actual. The mode of being of the collective of individuals differs from the perpetual present of the colonies of primitive living beings due to the fact that it is the encounter of individual becomings in a present that dominates the advance of youth and the delay of old age and incorporates them into a real entelechy. The collective finds and realizes the signification of these two temporal decenterings that constitute the forward phase shift of growth and the backward phase shift of aging. The collective, the functional equivalent of the colony, is the signification of the two inverse and contradictory aspects of ontogenesis and destruction which are incompatible in the individual. The individual finds the signification of perceptive disparations through action. By way of this superior analog of action that is presence, the collective finds in the individual signification of disparation, the pair of anabolic processes and catabolic processes of ontogenesis and degradation, a pairing of the ascent toward existence and the descent toward the definitive stability of the equilibrium of death. The definitive and only metastability is that of the collective, since it is perpetuated without aging throughout successive individuations. Inferior species may not involve separate individuality. Metastability can be imminent to the individual, or instead it can traverse the whole imperfectly portioned into individuals. In superior species, the permanence of life is also found at the level of the collective, but it is found there at a superior level. It is rediscovered there as signification, as the dimension within which the ascent and degradation of the individuated being is integrated. The collective is born by the maturity of individuals, a maturity that is the superior dimension relative to which youth and old age are organized and that is not a transitional state between youth and old age. The individual is mature to the extent that it is integrated into the collective, i.e. to the extent that it is simultaneously old and young, prior to and coming after relative to the present thereby containing within itself both future potentials and traces of the past. Okay, let's stop there uh, to discuss this bit, if I can just scroll up. Here he's 
contrasting what he calls the superior organisms, so the organisms that have a high degree of individuality and the inferior organisms that have um, a low degree of individuality that exist in this colony form or this um, un- unindividuated form in, in something like a colony. And we've seen this uh, distinction before in the rest of this part of the book. But here, the, uh, the relationship of the individual is treated, so in, in the superior species, the ones that have a high degree of individuation, um, he's talking about how those individuals are still integrated into something that is larger or, or, or greater than the individual. So in this case, it's not a, a colony, but a collective, a group in which the, the members are all individuals, unlike a colony. Here, the, the collective, it has this role of a, a sort of uh, eternal present in the way that in the in one particular individual they they have a past and a future they have juvenile stage and maturity and then old age but the colony is always the same uh, is always the same age it's, it's composed of individuals at different stages of their lifespan uh, and and the collective um, sorry the collective is composed of individuals at different stages of their lifespan. And, and so the, the collective is always present uh, in that sense. Um, it's always in the, the sort of middle phase rather than being in the juvenile phase or the uh, this phase of old age. Right. Okay, so that, that bit was um, not too difficult, I think. Um, so we can go on to um, the next page or so if someone else would like to read from 242. The individual finds its meaning in this phase shift via which it offers the bidimensionality of time coming to be then passing away, swelling with potentials toward the future, then being insularly structured in the past to the integration of the collective. With the present, the collective is the resolution of the incompatible bidimensionality within the individual in accordance with the tridimensionality that coheres in the present. This is because there is a great difference between the future and the past as they are for the separate individual and the future and the past as they are in the three-dimensional system of collective presence. The future and the past become dimensions through the presence of the present. Before the individuation of the collective, the future is the isolated signification of anabolic processes, and the past is the isolated signification of catabolic processes. These two processes do not coincide. Relative, Relative to one another, they are disparate and yet paired together, for each action implies both the one and the other. In the collective, individual action takes on a meaning because it is present. The present of the collective is comparable to the third dimension of space for perception. The future and the past of the individual find a coincidence in this dimension and are organized there into a system due to an axiomatic of a superior degree. The individual bears within it the conditions of temporal depth, but not this dimension of depth. Alone, it would be held within its future and its past, which means that it would not be fully living. For any vital signification to be found, the temporal duality of the individual must be organized according to the tridimensionality of the collective. In the collective, the pairing of the future and the past becomes signification, for the individuated being is recognized as integrated. It is not integrated, sorry, it is integrated not only according to its past or to its future or its past, but according to the direction of the condensation of its future and its past. The individual is present in the collective. It is unified in the present through its action. The collective is not a substance or a form anterior to the individuated beings that would compel them, penetrate them, or condition them. 
A collective is the communication that envelops and resolves individual disparations as a presence that is the synergy of actions and the coincidence of futures and pasts as an internal resonance of the collective. Indeed, collective, synergies, collective synergy supposes a unity that creates a domain of transductivity from which it is not yet individuated within each individual being, something which could be called the charge of nature associated with the individuated being. The collective is that in which an, an individual action has a meaning for other individuals as a symbol. Each action presented to the others is a symbol of the others. It belongs to a reality that individuates into totality as capable of accounting for the simultaneous and successive plurality of actions. Um, so maybe the first point to, um, or the first, uh, yeah, the first point to clarify here is um, these terms embolic and catabolic that he uses um, throughout this passage. Uh, so these have to do with um, metabolic processes in organism. Uh, so anabolic uh, refers to the, the processes that build up structures um, that, so you're taking in nutrition uh, from food or, uh, or from the environment in general and, and building up structures from them. And then catabolic processes are the, the converse processes that, that take a structure in an organism, uh, like, uh, um, say, fat cells, and break them down, um, and break them down into uh, uh, energy that is used uh, by other processes in the organism. Um, so that's, that's one point. So the metabo metabolism um, is divided up into these anabolic and catabolic processes. Uh, so they're sort of um, coordinate to each other. They, they, uh, each one is the opposite side of the other. And then, uh, yeah, to, to answer your question, Angus, uh, so the question is about uh, Simonon's use of the term symbol here towards the end of, of the, the paragraph that I just read. Um, here, I think, yes, it, it is uh, being used uh, in relation to the, uh, the symbolon, the, the, the ancient Greek uh, token that's broken in half. Uh, I think whenever Simondon uses the term symbol, that's always or almost always what he has in mind. So for those who maybe uh, weren't there for that discussion or, or don't remember that part, um, he, uh, Simondon talks about this uh, ancient Greek practice of taking a, a, a stone or some sort of token uh, and breaking it in half and then using each of those halves as a way of recognizing the, uh, the other one. And so um, when someone was a guest uh, of, a, of a host, um, they would create this, uh, this symbol on this uh, token that's broken in half and uh, that token would be passed on to the descendants of, uh, of the guest and the host so that they could recognize each other uh, in the future as well. And, and so when Simodo talks about a symbol, I, I think he always has this uh, example in mind. Uh, and so a symbol has to do with um, some aspect of reality that fits in together with another aspect of reality. Um, it, it, there's a, this notion of fitting together or um, two coordinate halves that or two sides of a of some entity that that um, are are coordinate to each other. I think is always at work when he talks about symbols. Um, so, but to uh, to go back up a little bit, um, 
So he, he talks about um, the, the dimensionality of time and he talks about two different sort of um, systems of, of dimensionality uh, to time. So in, in the, for the individual, time has these two dimensions. It has um, uh, coming to be and passing away. Um, um, so this, um, the one dimension in which um, the, the individual comes to have potentials. Um, so this is the, like the maturation side of uh, a lifespan, I guess we can say. And then the other dimension is the um, um, using up of the of those potentials, and this is the aging side of the lifespan. Um, and and so these uh, these two dimensions or or two aspects of time uh, overlap to some extent, of course. Um, like certain um, properties of an individual might be already. Uh, uh, might have, might reach their peak uh, at one stage of a lifespan, and then others uh, would reach their peak later on in the individual's lifespan. So that um, aging, the aging side would have already begun for certain properties, uh, whereas other properties are still on the maturation side. Uh, so there's a certain overlap between these two um, dimensions or or aspects of time uh, for the the living individual. Uh, but then at the level of the collective, he talks about um, not a, a bi-dimensionality, but a tri-dimensionality. So there's three dimensions of, of time at the level of the collective. And, and the, uh, the, uh, the third dimension, or, or what makes it three dimensions rather than two, is uh, the presence uh, of the present. Um, so the 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 presence uh, of the present here means that the the collective, as I mentioned uh, a little bit earlier, the the collective is always the same age, or there's um, uh, a certain um, community, I guess, between individuals of different ages in the collective, uh, so that the collective itself contains both. Um, young and old uh, and then also mature individuals and so the collective uh is always um is always the same age it doesn't uh it doesn't um age it doesn't age and doesn't come to maturity um in the way that an individual does um and so because of this the collective has uh this three-dimensional the the temporal structure of the collective has a, a a three-dimensional structure rather than uh, the two-dimensional one that's characteristic of of the the individual. And then uh, maybe the the last point here is that um, the collective um, has to do always with um, something in the individual which is not individuated. Uh, and so we, we we've seen this um, a few different occasions or, or a few different points of this book where individuation uh, is always on the basis of something pre-individual uh, and there's always something of that pre-individual that remains uh, in the process of individuation. Um, so the, the, the individual that results from the process of individuation 
uh, is only part of the results of that process. Uh, there's always something, something of the pre-individual that remains um, and, and which is subject to further processes, processes of individuation. And so the collective has to do with um, uh, not, not just uh, a sort of um, abstract grouping of individuated beings um, insofar as they are already individuated. It has to do with a secondary individuation of beings that are not fully individuated um, already. So the, the collective is a, um, another stage of individuation or another individuation process after the first one that brings about the individuals in the first place. So uh, whenever we see a collective, we should always think of uh, individuation process and, and not just a, a grouping of individuals that are already individuated. Everyone's uh, quiet today. Yeah, so we can go on to the next bit if, uh, if someone else would like to read from the collective is not. The collective is not merely the reciprocity of actions within the, its each action is a signification. And so far as each action resolves the problem of separate individuals and is constituted as a symbol of other actions. The synergy of actions is not merely a de facto synergy, an interdependence that ends in a result. It is due to the fact that it is structured as symbolic of others of the others. The action is just a capacity of making the individual past coincide with the individual present. In order for the dimension of presence to exist, it requires not only several individuals gathered together, it also requires this union to be inscribed in their own di dimensionality and requires that within them, present and future be uh, correlative of the dimensions of other beings through this unity of the present. The present is that in which there is signification, the through which a certain resonance of the past towards the future and the future towards the past is created. The exchange of information from one being to another passes through the present. Each being becomes reciprocal with respect to itself to the extent what it becomes reciprocal with respect to the others. Intra-individual integration is reciprocal with trans-individual integration. The category of presence is also the category of trans-individual. A structure and a function exist both in individuals and from one individual to another. Them, without them being able to define as merely external or internal. This relation between individuals through individuals expresses the fact that individuals are amplified in a vast uh, reality via the inter intermediary of something that is problematic tension within them. Uh, example, information. This reality can be called the pre-individual charge within the individual. Action, the resolution of perspective polarities into dynamic unity implies inter intervention of this in pre individual reality. The being called a pure individuated being has nothing within it to go beyond perceptive words in their plurality. The individual being would remain compatible with itself if it had nothing but perception, and it would have nothing but perception if there were nothing available to resolve these problems. Then what the being is, core individuated individual, as a result of anterior operation of individuation, the being must be able to appeal in it, now study it to a not yet individuated reality. 
This reality is the, inf the information that it contains relative to pre-individual real. This charge is the very principle of the trans-individual. It communicates directly with other pre-individual realities contained in other individuals. Just as the links of network communicate with one another by each link being surpassed in the following link. Participating in an active reality within which it is nothing but a link, the individuated being acts in the collective action in the, is this networked exchange between the individuals of a collective, uh, an exchange that creates the internal resonance of the system formed in this way. The group can be considered as a substance with respect to the individual, but only in an exact fashion. Indeed, the group is reached starting from the charge of individual reality of each of the group's individuals. The group does not directly incorporate individuals, but the charge of individual reality. Here through the latter, but not as the individuated individuals. That beings are included in the in the in the trans individual relation. The trans individual is that which in non-provisional individuals is equivalent to the transformation of provisional beings used for genetic transfer into colonies or to the seeds development into plant. Right. So we have here more discussion of this symbolic nature of actions. Uh, so the way that each action serves as a, a symbol for the others uh, in the sense that we um, talked about a little bit earlier, where uh, an action um, has this, this character of uh, pointing towards another action or of uh, being coordinate with another action in the same way that the, the two halves of the token um, sort of point towards each other. Right. Um, this notion of resonance is one that we saw in the first part of the book as well, in uh, the part on physical individuation. Uh, here, this is a little bit different. So in, in, that, in the first part of the book, it was talking about the physical notion of resonance um, so that um, it had to do with the way that different parts of a physical system were um, the way different parts of our physical system were connected to each other uh, and, and how the, um, the um, uh, oscillations of one um, portion of the system are, are uh, coordinated with those of another. But here he's talking about the resonance of the past and, and the future um, toward each other. Uh, so this is a different notion of resonance, or at least a, a sort of expanded um, version of the resonance that we were talking about in, in the case of physical individuation. So I think the way that it should be understood here is that um, uh, the past and the future as, uh, as dimensions of the collective, um, so um, the the collective as containing both uh, youth and old age, um, or, or as containing the the maturation side of uh, of the lifespan and also the aging side of the lifespan. Those those two sides are are connected to each other, so that it's not just um, it's not just that there's sort of one 
aspects of reality, one aspect of uh, the temporal lifespan of a collective, and then also another aspect as just something uh, something additional added on, but uh, rather each aspect of the lifespan is um, sort of um, symbolic of the other or is um, related to the other in the same way as the two halves of a token are uh, are related to each other. And so there's this uh, resonance in the, the broader sense here means something like um, uh, an internal relation between uh, between one aspect of reality and another. Um, and so we have a, a resonance between the past and the future in, uh, in the collective, and then a, uh, likewise a resonance from the future toward the past. Uh, so each, each of them, um, uh, each of them is connected to the other. Um, I'm finally back, so I can read the next section. But I wanted to ask if uh, Simondon is still using, is referring to the collective here, or his idea of the collective here is still being used in the limited sense in which he used it earlier in the book, as opposed to the societal and the inter-individual. Um, because it seems like... I mean, I guess the idea that the present only exists in the collective uh, and this idea that the collective is kind of the equivalent of the colony for more individuated life forms. And it seems that some kind of equivalent of the colony and also the ability to have like a, a present um, seem like things that every individual would need. But my understanding of the collective was that it was something that is rarer than the inner individual and societal. Um, yes, I think um, so. To the first part of the question is whether whether he's using his notion of the collective in the the limited sense in which he used it uh, in earlier passages when when he contrasts the the collective with the the social and uh, the inner individual. And I think the answer is yes. Uh, I think he is using it in that specific sense. Um, because he, um, um, in that earlier passage, he, when he's explaining what he means by the collective in, in his specific sense of the term, he, uh, he talks about, um, um, uh, a trans individual, um, or, or, uh, the process of, uh, collective individuation as the, the formation of something like a trans individual, um, which, uh, has to do with the what remains of the pre-individual in each of the individuals that form the collective, uh, and then they undergo a, a further process of individuation. Um, and so that same um, account of the collective reappears in this passage as well. So I think uh, I think he is using the same notion um, of the 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 collective as he was in the previous passage. Um, but um, that does raise the the question, the second part of your your question, um, having to do with um, whether whether um, whether there's something like the presence for an organism or uh, an individual uh, outside of a collective, uh, and uh, if not, then um, 
how what what are we to, to make of this notion from the earlier passage that the collective is something rare and uh, rather than um, something like the uh, the general condition of uh, an individuated being. Um, and I think that's yeah, that's a that's a good question. Um, I I'm not sure that I have a a good answer to it, um, but I think um, when he talks about a present here, uh, this has to do not just with um, um, uh, or I guess how I would put it is he's talking about the present here as um, as a dimension of time rather than as a one moment of time uh, in which uh, time would appear as a um, as a, a dimension itself. So in, in a sort of um, standard uh, physical representation of time, uh, time appears as one dimension alongside the three dimensions of space or um, the multiple dimensions of a, of a state space. Um, but, uh, uh, and then, so the present would just be one moment in uh, the temporal series. Uh, but here, when he talks about the present, uh, it's not the present as a moment of the dimension which time would constitute as a whole, but rather um, the present or the presence of the present uh, as a dimension of time. Um, so uh, the this notion of a dimension of time or of time having multiple dimensions, uh, I think, has to do with um, the way that there are uh, these different uh, processes ongoing within an individual, um, so that there's um, uh, the process of maturation and the process of aging can be can be ongoing at the same time in an individual. Um, there's a, a certain overlap between the two, um, but there's still distinct um, elements or or. Uh, aspects of the structure of time for that individual. And um, likewise, I think the, the present, uh, when he talks about it in, in this passage, is a, a dimension of time, which has to do with the communication between, uh, between individuals. Um, so it's only in the collective that there is something like a, a present uh, in, in the sense of um, this resonance between past and future or this um, communicability between uh, the process of aging and the process of maturation. Um, so the, the individual um, uh, distinct from the collective or the individual um, insofar as it is not part of a collective would, would still have some sort of relation to the, the, the present as a moment of time, uh, but would not have um, this relationship to the present as a dimension of uh, the temporal structure um, of a, a, an individual. Um, so I think that's how I would try to make sense of that distinction between uh, between the the moment pre the present as a moment of time and the present as a dimension of time uh, or a, a dimension of temporal structure. I think it, it, I think that's how we can sort of make sense of um, how the collective is something that that uh, is rare um, and also has this uh, important connection to the present. Mm -hmm. 
maybe my question is like in relation to the the the, the this question as well, but um maybe not like um I think the part we just uh, have read uh Kiki was um uh, the resonance kind of a colony and um yeah, things like that. Because, like, and then, again, like, a question about, like, the identity of information comes again. I mean, comes up again. I don't I don't know exactly what Simongdong is, like, trying to say through the concept of information. Sometimes it's like uh, information as we know, like, uh, the kind of a common sense of information. But sometimes, as he explained in the previous poll, it's like a kind of a structure or frame or which is, like, a flexible... Uh, transformative something like that so uh regarding like uh the concept of colony a collective identity of this all kind of transformation of uh, i am thinking like what is simongdong's like uh, the uh the big big picture of this whole idea so each individual has pre-individuality, like um, it sounds like the mixture of the past and the future as uh, something a little bit hidden under under the surface. But the uh, present is like uh, comes up as an action, and then which is like a uh, shows what's 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 in the individual, like uh, in the mixture of like a present past and the future and then something comes up on the surfaces as actually the presence present the present i think uh it, it's kind of like a too much but maybe like we can um think of other kind of like of thinkers ideas for example uh if you think of like a logical sense and then to lose and then i'm not sure it can be connected to the idea but you know phantasm and then simulacrum if you think of those kind of concepts, maybe uh, each individual's phantasm as a simulated manifest expressions of something like as a kind of actions on the surface could make a resonance to other individuals. At the end, at the end of the day, like uh, to make something new as a kind of genesis. So, Simongdong think there is a something being, collective being out there, which constitutes of, I mean, which it has its individual as an element. I mean, I mean the, the, the identity, the nature of a colony. So how many colonies in the world? The only one? Or, or, or according to the the, the uh, geographic difference or time difference, there are more than one colony? Or Simongdong, like, uh, supposes, I mean, there could be one big, big, massive, like, colony, like, collective thing of whole individuals, and you know, all, all individuals. So, to, to some, to some, the first idea is, I'm not sure the meaning of, I mean, the concept of information. Second, um, I'm wondering, like, I, 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 I can get the, like, the, the key points of this part is, like, 
resonance, a collective, and then he's trying to say about like pre-individuality as a potential of of genesis, like you know, the, the in the pr- process of like a, a individuation. Uh, kind of a, for me, like it, it's kind of a mixture of like present and then I don't know, no part, the past and the future, and then it comes up as an action uh, in, in in the present. So I, I'm wondering, like, my understanding makes sense, and then also it's kind of like a it sounds a little silly, but the that the identity of a colony it could be more than one, or it could it doesn't matter the number of colony in human history, whatever, something like that. Thank you. Right. Um, maybe the first thing I would say is, um, is that we need to distinguish between. Uh, colonies and collectives. Um, um, so a colony is uh, um, has to do with these types of organisms that have a low degree of individuation. So like we saw um, in the last chapter, I think it was, um, when he talks about sponges, for example, that um, they grow together and they share a circulatory system uh, and they the only really individual aspects of them is the fact that they are they are uh, born and die independently of each other but um pretty much everything else is shared uh, and so the colony um is a uh, almost a, a sort of quasi organism on its own um uh, of which the sponge the individual sponges would be members um rather than the the sponges themselves forming uh distinct individuals uh so that's a, a colony um, so a colony always um, has to do with uh, organisms that are are not individuals or or that have a low degree of individuality. Uh, whereas a collective is uh, a grouping of uh, individuals with a high degree of individuality, um, and he's uh, I think he's thinking primarily of human collectives. I don't I don't know to what extent he would. Um, describe animal societies as as having collectives um but um uh so a collective is a is a grouping of uh individuals with a high degree of individuality um that undergoes a a further process of individuation at the collective level Uh, so something within them that is not individuated uh, at the level of the individual undergoes a, a further process of individuation at the level of the collective. Um, so yeah, so that, that distinction is an important one uh, between the, the colony and the collective. Um, but then, so yeah, your question about um, how, many, uh, how many colonies or how many collectives there are, um, I, think, uh, I think the way Simon Don would put it is that um, collectives are um, somewhat transitory in the sense that they they don't always exist. Uh, so it, it's not like the whole human, uh, the whole of human history would would be one giant collective or something like that. Um, collectives are are formed, um, and they ha- they persist for a certain amount of time, and then they dissolve. I guess um, when when the uh, individuals that make them up no longer. Uh, are individuated together uh, in the form of a collective. Um, 
uh, so say if like the Roman Empire was a collective um, uh, or had a, a collective aspect to it, 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 you know, was formed at a certain time and it lasted for a certain time. And then after a while, it eventually dissolves and uh, breaks up into various successor states. Um, uh, and uh, yeah, so any, any collective um, is, is always uh, transitory in the sense that it, it only lasts for a certain amount of time and it, it's always subject to being broken up uh, uh, or to dissolution, I guess, um, after a certain amount of time. Uh, so yeah, so I think um, in light of that, I think we, we'd have to say that there are lots of collectives that um, uh, can appear uh, and sort of take their place on the scene for a while uh, and then disappear after a while. And then your, your other question about information. Um, yeah, I think Angus is right that we're going to see more about this notion of information in the next section, um, which, you know, the, or a subsection, I should say, the, the title is um, From Information to Signification. So we're going to see more about uh, the notion of, of information in that section. So I think we should probably wait until we read that bit before we uh, talk about that notion of information. Uh, okay. like oh. so sorry sorry one more one more thing like one more thing like simply angus and then you uh seem to have like the same opinion about the colony yeah i agree with that like uh, the colony should be different uh, differentiated from the idea of the collectives definitely but in a way it sounds like a more anthropocentric like if you like a difference do uh, by saying like a uh, high high degree and a low degree things like that and secondly Regarding colony, like listening to you, um, yeah, in a way, I'm thinking like uh, there could be like a multiple colonists. But at the same time, if you look at the, if you see this kind of thing like with the bird eye view, those kind of things as a memory of the past, and then like a perspective of, I mean, perspective view of the future, all together get together, like all together can get together and make a big kind of a collective, big collective. As you said, like, according to, to time, like um, Roman Empire, Greek, I mean, time, era, and whole thing can be uh, say, said as uh, like one colony, but uh, that those kind of things all together make it, make a one big, I mean, because like everything is accumulated as a, as a kind of a memory in human being, like uh, whether that is a conscious or conscious, it doesn't matter. Because through history, it's passed down to the other generation. It's any kind of like a form, a cultural form, whatever. It's like a, just like a, a pop, pop thing. I mean, the, just kind of thinking was just popped up. Yeah. Um, this idea of a um, like a one singular uh, collective that would contain um, the whole of human history or something like that. Uh, I think I think Simondon would be um, opposed to using the notion of collective for for the whole uh, um, for the whole of human history, or at least what he would say is that um, the uh, the extent to which there is something like a collective at the scale of the whole of human history is very low. Um, so uh, it's true that there is something uh of 
culture that is passed on from one generation to the next um, that persists. Um, but the actual institutions that make up the collective uh, of, say, the Roman Empire, um, those institutions uh, no longer exist now. Um, they've, uh, they've been replaced by other institutions. Uh, and, and so the, the collective that, uh, that existed at that time no longer exists. Um, um, so maybe we could we could say that there's a a very low degree of individuation um, at which we can talk about the the whole history of humanity as one collective. Um, but in the the more specific sense, um, you would have multiple collectives at a, at much higher degrees of individuation that appear and and disappear uh, throughout human history. And then the other point was. Um, about how this notion of um, uh, inferior and superior species as being an anthropocentric one, uh, and I think that's that's correct. Uh, I think um, you know biologists who are being careful um, no longer describe particular species as being more uh, uh, as being superior or inferior or like more evolved or more perfected than others or, or something like that um, because uh, all, all living species are um, are contemporary with each other like they, they're all the results of whatever three point whatever billion years of evolution um, that, that ended up with uh, you know all the species that exist today um, and and there's no sort of objective sense in which one species can be said to be more evolved than another, except along one specific uh, evolutionary lineage. Um, so there, there's no way that you, that you can say something like, you know, humans are, are more evolved than um, termites or, uh, I don't know, hummingbirds or whatever other species you want to take. Um, they're, they're just different species that, um, that, are uh, that exist uh, contemporaneously with each other, and so they're they're all equally evolved, and and there's no real sense in which you can say that one is superior to another. But um, the sort of more objective uh, content of what Simon Don was talking about with when he talks about um, inferior and superior species is the degree of individuation. Um, so when, when he talks about superior species, he's talking about species that have a high degree of individuation. Uh, and so humans, of course, would be one example, but uh, mammals in general and birds. Uh, uh, and uh, um, I guess vertebrates as a whole tend to have high degree of individuation. Um, and, uh, and then other, um, other species would have lower degrees of individuation, so things like sponges and corals and and so on, that uh, that might share circulatory systems and and uh, reproduce through budding and and uh, uh, all the other things that we've seen in, in previous sections. Um, so um, whenever we see uh, inferior and superior organisms in this book, we can always sort of read uh, read in the idea of um, 
low degree of individuation or high degree of individuation. Uh, and I think that's the objective content of what he's talking about without the um, sort of um, evaluation side that is uh, implied when we talk about inferior and superior. Right. Um, so we can go on to subsection four now. Um, if someone else would like to read uh, from the beginning of subsection four. Okay, from information to signification. It could then be questioned how we should represent the function of an individuation when it develops in the living being. It would be necessary to be able to define a notion that would be valid for thinking individuation in physical nature as well as in living nature, and afterwards for defining the internal differentiation of a living being that extends its individuation by separating vital functions into physiological and psychical functions. Um, however, if we take up, again, the paradigm of technological form-taking, we find a notion that seems to be able to pass from one order of reality to another due to its purely operative nature, which is not linked to any particular matter and is, an, is only defined relative to an energetic and structural regime, the notion of information. Form, for example, the rectangular per parallel epiped does not act on matter directly. It does not even act after being materialized as the parallelepipedic mold. The mold only intervenes as a modulator of the energy that bears the clay in a particular way at a particular point. The mold is the bearer of information signals. The form must be translated into information signals to be able to effectively encounter the matter when it is originally external to the latter. Individuation is a modulation. Yet the notion of information is delivered separately by certain technologies, known as information technologies, on whose basis information theory has been built. But it is difficult to extract a univocal, na univocal notion of information from these multiple technologies in which the notion of information is utilized and which have led to the usage of quantities. Indeed, the notion of information appears in, almost two, in two almost contradictory ways. In the first case, information, as Norbert, uh, I think it's Beener, says, is what is opposed to the degradation of energy or the increase of entropy in the system. It is essentially negentropic. In a system in which all possible transformations would have been effectuated, in which all potentials would be actualized, no other transformation would be possible. Nothing would be distinguished from anything else. Thus, in the transmission of a message, information is what is opposed to the general flattening of energy modulated by the signal. It is what guarantees that it is possible to distinguish in a Morse code transmission uh, between the moment when the current passes and the moment when the current does not pass. If during the course of the system's electrical inertia of transmission, self-inductance, the current is established very slowly and diminishes very slowly. It becomes impossible to discern whether the current passes or not, or whether we are dealing with a dash, a dot, or an interval between a dot and a dash. The information signal is de the decision between two possible states, for example, current or non-current in the aforementioned case. To transmit a message in Morse code clearly, one must manipulate slowly enough at the start so that despite the inertia of the apparatus, the signals are still distinct to the receiver, i.e. so that one can clearly distinguish 
the moments of the current passing and the moments without a current, the indecisive periods of establishment and rupture remaining brief relative to the total duration of a sign or an interval between signs. The information signal provides the decision among possibilities in this first case. It supposes a possible variety of states, non-confusion and distinction. It is opposed in particular to background noise, i.e. what occurs randomly, like the thermal agitation of molecules when the energetic medium of the signal is essentially discontinuous. When the energetic medium of the signal is essentially discontinuous, like an electrical current consisting of elementary charges in transit, each element of the signal must modulate a large number of elementary units of carried energy in order for the message to be transmitted correctly. An electronic tube of small dimensions has a higher background noise than one with large dimensions, since it allows less electrons to pass per unit of time. In order not to be inconvenient, this quantum discontinuity due to the type of carried energy in use must remain extremely inferior to the significative variations that have a meaning for the transmission of information. The information signal is therefore the capacity to decide and the quantity of information that can be transmitted or registered by a system is proportionate to the number of significative decisions that this system can transmit or register. In this sense, a fine-grained photographic emulsion uh, has a power of resolution greater than that of a coarse-grained emulsion. For the same unreeling speed of the recording head and playback head, a fine-grained magnetic strip can register the sound more faithfully by producing the high-pitched sounds and the harmonics of the low-pitched sounds, which is analogous to fine details for photography. So it sounds like what he's describing here is the, the notion of the information signal seen from the point of view of transmission, which he'll contrast with reception. Right, yeah, so he's, he's talking here about um, what the, the transmitter needs, what properties the transmitter needs to have in order for something like uh, information transmission to be possible. Um, and so the, the general um, property that the transmitter has to have is that it has to have uh, a variation um, in possible states that is greater than uh, the variations that are um, uh, to be transmitted, right? So uh, in the case of the Morse code, um, if if the signal is being transmitted by the voltage uh, in, uh, or sorry, the the current in the uh, um, in the circuit, um, then the moments when the current is passing and the moments when it's not passing have to be um, sharply distinguished from each other, or they have to be uh, greater than uh, the degree of difference um, that is being transmitted. Uh, so it has to be possible to, to uh, on the other side of the, uh, of the circuit for the receiver to determine whether, uh, whether a signal, whether uh, the, the current is passing or not, rather than um, being in some intermediate state that is uh, hard, hard to tell whether, it's, uh, whether the current is passing or not. Um, and so the 
the speed of transmission uh, of the Morse code is limited by the speed with which the uh, the current can be turned on and off. Uh, and so there's um, a certain amount of transition time um, from the no current to the current passing state. Um, and, and so that transition time uh, has to be much shorter than the, the time of uh, a dot um, um, in the Morse code uh, in order for that dot to be clearly receivable on the other end. Um, and so uh, this, this notion of information from the side of the transmitter um, has to do with uh, what is not predictable. So um, it has to do with uh, um, this neg entropy or this uh, negative form of entropy or the negative side uh, of entropy, uh, I guess you could say. Um, so if, if entropy means um, what is the, the most predictable state of a system, then uh, uh, a system in that state, in the, uh, in the state of highest entropy, would not be able to transmit any information because it has no more um, potentials to uh, be actualized. Um, so this is the, the first notion of information. Uh, and, uh, and this one um, provides for the possibility of uh, measuring a, a quantity of information um, to be transmitted in, a, in the sense that um, you have um, uh, a higher degree of, uh, vari of variability that uh, allows for transmission. So um, a system that has only two possible states can only transmit uh, um, one bit of information at a time, or it can only transmit, uh, um, you know, off or on or, or heads or tails or something like that. Uh, whereas a system with um, many uh, different possible states, so like uh, uh, a record or a, a tape um, recording um, is, is uh, capable of um, uh, registering many different possible signals at the same time. Uh, it has uh, a much higher uh, degree of information transmission uh, per, per second or per unit of time because it has many more possible states it could be in rather than just um, on or off. Uh, and so this allows for uh, a quantification of the uh, amount of information contained in uh, uh, a message or uh, amount of uh, information that can be transmitted across a channel. So this is, uh, we're still talking about this one, uh, this first notion of information. We're gonna see the second one in a little bit. Okay, so we can go on to the next um, couple of paragraphs because they're shorter ones, I think, or at least one is shorter. Um, yeah, so let's, I'll, I'll read the next bit. In this sense, the information signal is what is not predictable and what sections off the predictable to the point that the energy that conveys this signal or the supports that record it must have states that, compared to the order of magnitude of the information signal, long or wide according to the case, can be considered as predictable such that the unpredictability of the states of the support or of the modulated energy does not interfere with that of the information signal. If we wanted to transmit a background noise considered as a signal by means of an apparatus that already has a background noise, 
it would be necessary that the background noise belonging to the system of transmission be extremely slight relative to the background noise to be transmitted as a signal. An area of fine, very flat and uniformly lit sand is very difficult to photograph. The grain of the photographic film must be much smaller than the average magnitude of the image of grain of sand on the film, or else the granulation of the developed film could equally be due to the image or to the grain of the film. Decision, which is characteristic of the information signal, will no longer exist. One cannot duplicate the image of the grain of a photographic film by means of the same type of film. A more fine-grained film must be used. However, in another sense, information is what implies regularity and periodic occurrence, i.e. predictability. The more easily predictable the signal is, the more easy it is to transmit. Thus, when an oscillator has to be synchronized by means of another oscillator, uh, the more the oscillators are stable on their own, the easier it is to synchronize one of the oscillators by means of the other. Even if the synchronization signal is very weak and almost on the same level as the background noise, it is possible to receive this signal without error by means of the phase comparison apparatus, which supposes that the time during which the receptive oscillator is sensitive to the signal is extremely reduced within the total duration of a period. That is because in this case, the signal is not just emitted or transmitted by the modulation of an energy. It is also received by an apparatus that has its own operation and that must integrate the information signal within its own operation by making it perform the role of effective communication. The information signal is not merely what is to be transmitted without a deterioration caused by the background noise and the other aspects of chance and de the degradation of energy. It is also what must be received when you take on a signification and have an effectiveness for an ensemble that has its own operation. Since the problems related to information are problems of transmission in general, the only aspects of information retained and, and submitted to technological evaluation are those related to the non-degradation of signals during transmission. The problem of the signification of signals is not posed since the non-degraded signals have upon arrival the signification that they would have had at the point of departure if they had not, not been transmitted but delivered directly. The human subject is the receiver at the end of the transmission relay, just as it would be if there were no distance separating it from the origin of the signals. In contrast, the problem is quite different when the signals are not simply technologically transmitted but also technologically received, i.e. received by a system endowed with its own operation and which must integrate them into, into this operation. It is then seen that the physical dimensions relative to the transmission of signals and those relative to their signification are antagonistic. Signals are transmitted better when they merge less with the uniform, uniformization of the predictable. But in order for signals to be received and integrated into the operation of a system, they must present an, an analogy as perfect as possible with those that could be emitted by the receptive apparatus if it were used as an emitter. They must be almost predictable. Two oscillators synchronize more easily when the signals emitted by, the, by one and by the other are closer in frequency and in form. Sinusoidal signals, relaxed signals, sawtooth waves, pulse train. This possible aspect of reciprocity is illustrated by the coupling of oscillators. When two oscillators allowed to radiate a part of the energy are brought closer to one another, they mutually synchronize in such a way that it can only be said that one guides the other. They no longer form anything but a single oscillating system. In addition to the quantity of information signals transmissible by a given system, one must therefore consider their aptitude for being received by a receptive apparatus. This aptitude cannot be expressed directly in terms of quantity. It is also difficult to call it quality 
since quality seems to be an ab absolute property of a being, whereas here it is a question of a relation. A certain modulated energy can become information signals for a defined system and not for some other system. This aptitude of information, or rather what founds this aptitude, could be called the hexiety of information. The latter is what makes it such that this information, uh, sorry, that this is information and received as information, while that is not received as information. The term quality is overly indicative of generic characteristics. That of hexiety overly particularizes and shuts into a concrete characteristic what a relational aptitude is. It is only important to indicate that this relational aptitude is attached to the schema of the predictability of information signals. In order for signals to take on a meaning in a system, they must not contribute anything entirely new to it. A set of signals is only significative on a background that almost coincides with it. If signals expose the local reality exactly, they are no longer information, but merely an external iteration of an internal reality. If they differ from it too much, they are no longer grasped as having a meaning, are no longer significative and cannot be integrated. Uh, let's stop there because I think this paragraph goes on for a while. Um, yes, let me scroll up. Right, so this is the second notion of information, um, where whereas the first one has to do with uh, transmission and what is what is possible to transmit, the second one has to do with reception and, and what is possible for uh, something to receive. And uh, um, so uh, we saw that the first one has to has to do with the um, what is unpredictable in uh, in a system, uh, so the the more uh, something is unpredictable, the more information it transmits. Whereas in the second sense of information, um, uh, predictability is actually um, a positive um, feature, or um, there's more information uh, for the receptor insofar as it is able to detect something predictable, something regular, um, rather than something random. Uh, and so you can think of, uh, for example, um, there's the uh, the SETI project, the search for extraterrestrial intelligence, um, which looks for um, signs of extraterrestrial intelligent life in the universe. And one of the things they look for is precisely regularities of uh, uh, of signals, so some sort of repeating pattern uh, uh, in in a signal, and uh, um the the idea here is that the uh uh the reception of some sort of repeating pattern would indicate that it was produced by some sort of intelligent life um that was trying to transmit information um rather than uh being produced by some sort of um natural phenomenon that uh uh is independent of intelligent life, although the, there are also um, pulsars which do, do transmit regular um, radio waves or, or regular patterns of radiation, um, which uh, can be mistaken for, um, for uh, signs of intelligent life. Right, so this, this notion of information as, uh, as uh, viewed from the side of the receptor um, has to do with uh, um, 
not not the quantity of information uh, in the the sense that we saw for the first notion of information from the side of the transmitter. Um, But um, Simon Don hesitates here with the terminology and he he says that uh, calling it the the quality of information doesn't quite work um, because uh, quality is an intrinsic, something intrinsic about um, uh, a reality. Whereas uh, what he's talking about here is something relational. Um, and then he uses the term hyxiety, which is um, uh, uh, a sort of um, invented term for uh, uh, the thisness of something. Um, and uh, But he again thinks that this is not entirely satisfactory because it, it's... Um, uh, it it doesn't really um, uh, it, he says it overly particularizes and shuts into a concrete characteristic what a relational aptitude is um, this notion of the qualitative side of the um, of information or um, in another text in the, the form information potentials text that we looked at a few months ago Um, He calls this the tension of information, Um, but this is information as viewed from the side of the receiver, and uh, this notion of information is uh, um, an information that is greater the more regularity or the more predictability there is in a signal. um, Which is uh, sort of the converse of the, uh, the first notion. Okay, so I think we can go on to the the next um, page or so of this multi-page paragraph, if someone else would like to read, uh, from top of 248, where it says, this condition for the reception of information. So I'll go, I'll go. Which which part exactly, sorry? Uh, Oh, sorry, actually, it's a a little bit earlier. It's um, in order to be received. In, one, oh. two, three, four, five, six lines down, yeah. One, two, three, four. Oh, here you are. In order to be received, the signals must encounter the preliminary forms with respect to which they are significative. Signification is relational. This condition for the reception of information signals could be compared to what creates the binocular Disparation, disparation in depth perception. In order for the relief, relief and the layering of fields in depth to be effectively perceived, it merely requires the image formed on the, on the retina of the left eye to be different from the image formed on the retina of the right eye. If the two images are completely independent, like when we look at one side of the sheet of paper, with one eye and the other side with the other eye, no image appears because then there is no point in common. The two images must not be superposable, but their difference must be slight and they, they must be able to become superposable by means of a certain number of actions, pr- fractions, fractioned on a number of finite planes corresponding to simple laws of transformations. Relief intervenes as a signification of this duality of images. The duality of images is neither felt nor perceived, only the relief is perceived. 
It is the meaning of the difference of the two givens, the two givens. In the same way, for a signal to receive a signification not only in a psychological context, but also in an exchange of signals between technical objects, there must be a disparation between a form already contained in the receiver and an information signal provided from the outside. In the disparation is null, the signal corresponds to the form exactly, and the information as a modification of the state of the system is null. On the contrary, the more the disparation is increases, the more the information increases, but only up to a certain point, but beyond certain limits and depending on the characteristics of the receiving system, information becomes null abruptly when the operation through which disparation is assumed, assumed qua-disparation can no longer be carried out. By, by increasing the gap between the lenses in a stereo, uh, Stereoscopic shoot, the impression of relief and the success of a staggering of fields are increased. Since the disparation is increased, this apparatus is also used for direct observation at a distance. The sights are produced by means of two periscopes whose lenses can be separated as far apart as desired, which ends up increasing the gap between both eyes. But if the gap between the lenses exceeds a certain limit, which is variable, with the rear gap between the first field and the second field, the subject perceives two different images that blur together, with a fleeting dominance sometimes for the left eye, sometimes for the right eye, and an indefinite insta- instability, instability of perception that no longer conveys information as a staggering of the fields and relief of objects. Similarly, a synchronizable oscillator that receives signals strictly of the same frequency as a local oscillation without any phase difference does not receive any signal properly speaking since there is an absolute coincidence of the local operation and external operation translated by the signals. If the difference of the frequency increases, information grows due to defectively integrated signals, but if the received signals have a frequency, that's too different from the local frequency. There is no longer any synchronization. Signals are no longer utilized as mediums information. Can be nothing more for the oscillator than the uh, than what amount to irregular external disturbances. Feedback or background noise, the electronic noise of thermal agitation. The condition of frequency is fundamental. But there are other conditions that can be reduced to following. The integration of signals into functioning system is easier. When the distribution of energy is a single period of the signal is more closely related to the distribution of energies, local exchanges. Thus, a relaxation oscillator is more easily synchronized by the step front imposed voltages originating from another relaxation oscillator than by a sinusoidal signal of the same frequency set as impulses. We can call signal that which is transmitted the form that with respect to which the signal is received of the receiver. And information, information properly speaking, that which is effectively integrated into the functioning of the receiver. After the experience of disparation involving the exchange signal and the intrinsic form, recording of information is in fact determination of signals, not a very veritable 
recording of information, the magnetic strip or photographic film records signals as a set of local dates. But without an experience of desperation, desperation, the magnetic strip of the film that must be used as a secondary source of signals in front of the veritable receiver that will, or will not integrate in according to the existence and the existence within a, of an adequate form of, form of the experience of desperation. The magnetic strip must be uh, reactualized as signals and the photographic film must be exposed to light. The film that modulates the light point by point in the same way the photographed objects modulate the film and the disparation between the external signals is necessary for the for perception. The recording 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 must deliver two sets or series of signals separately. It takes two separate photographs to produce a perception of depth and it takes two tracks on the magnetic strip to produce depth of sound. This necessity to truly separate recording shows the recording conveys the signals, but not directly integratable, integra integrable, integrable information. Dispersion is not made, not made, and cannot be made since it is not on the level of signals and does not give rise to a signal, but to a signification. Which only has meaning in an operation. An operating receiver is required for desperation, desperation to take place. What's needed is a system with the structures and potentials. The conditions for the good transmission of signals should no longer be confused with the system's conditions of existence. The signal does not constitute relation. Right. So here he, he brings back in this notion of desperation that we've seen throughout this part of the book. Um, uh, and so this is uh, disparation, again, uh, has to do with the difference between retinal images uh, is the, the um, sort of basic notion of disparation, which is borrowed from uh, psychology of perception. Uh, and so the, the difference between the two retinal images is what you use to, um, to create or to invent or, or discover the dimension of depth in, in visual perception. Um, uh, so Simondon takes this, um, this process of invention of depth or discovery of depth as uh, sort of the paradigm for any other um, process of receiving information uh, in the strong sense. So receiving information in a way that um, can be used rather than just sort of uh, being bombarded with signals that that uh, can't be used. Um, and and so uh, this one of the conditions for disparation to be um, effective or for there to be the, this condition of disparation is that the difference between the two retinal images can't be too great. Um, um, so. If you if you um, have some sort of artificial setup in which you transmit uh, one image to one eye and a completely different image to the other eye, then the person doesn't see a, a combined image with depth. What they see is the, they they see one one image and then the other sort of randomly back and forth, um, uh, or they'll see like some sort of um, blurred uh, double image or something. Uh, but they won't see a, a combined image in the way that they do in, in regular depth perception. Um, and so there's a, a condition of um, 
there can't be too great a disparation. Uh, the disparation has to be, uh, or, or disparation uh, as a, a condition of information reception is only, um, is all with limited in degree. Uh, and so the same thing happens when you're transmitting, um, when you're trying to synchronize um, a pair of oscillators, for example, if the, um, if the transmitter oscillator is uh, cl relatively close in frequency to the receiving oscillator, then they'll, uh, they will converge towards a, a, a synchronized uh, rate of oscillation. Um, but if the, the transmitter oscillator is at a very different frequency from the receiver uh, oscillator, then uh, it will no longer, the, the, the two will no longer converge towards a synchronized state. Um, and uh, so the, the, the information or the, the signal from the transmitter oscillator will just be uh, a form of background noise that impacts the, uh, the receiver oscillator, but doesn't actually um, um, affect its operation in uh, a straightforward way. So, so disparation in the proper sense of the term or uh, is always uh, a sort of intermediate uh, state. So it's there. There has to be some difference between uh, between the the state of the receiver and the uh, signal being received. Because um, uh, if there's no difference, then the signal is not transmitting any information at all. Um, but uh, there can't be too much difference because in that case, the receiver is not capable of. Uh, actually receiving uh, or using the signal that it receives. Uh, so there has to be a sort of intermediate degree of, uh, of difference between, uh, between the state of the receiver and the signal that it receives. Right, this, this line I think was a, a sort of a key one. Oh, actually, I didn't start the uh, screen share, so you can't see which one I'm highlighting. But um, so the line on page uh, 249, um, where he gives um, he gives definitions of a couple of the key terms of this book. Uh, so he says, uh, it's about halfway down the page. He says we can call signal that which is transmitted, form that which is that with respect to which the signal is received in the receiver, and information properly speaking that which is effectively integrated into the functioning of the receiver after the experience of disparation involving the extrinsic signal in the intrinsic form. So we have uh, a system in which there's a, a transmission of information, um, a transmission of a signal. Um, so the signal is what is transmitted, and then the form is um, uh, what the the is the the aspect of the receiver that permits it to uh, to receive information uh, to receive the signal. Um, and then information in the restricted sense in which Simon don't wants to use it is um, uh, has to do with um, what can actually be integrated into the functioning of the receiver. So what the receiver is capable of actually um, absorbing or, or taking on into its functioning. Uh, uh, so this is the um, the more restricted use of the of the term information that is uh, specific to Simondon, um, but he he does sometimes use the word information in the sense of uh, an information signal um, uh, in the the more standard uh, information theory sense, rather than 
here um, in the specific sense that he wants to use it. Uh, but um, yeah, we should we should generally think of this definition whenever he uses the term information. Uh, this is the first thing that should come to mind. Um, in relation to this idea that information understood in the receptive sense uh, is related to predictability and the idea that for signals to take on meaning in a system, as he says on page 248, they must not contribute anything entirely new to it. Um, I guess that this makes me think of uh, the, you know, Bergson's critique of tracing and sort of tracing the, the possible from the actual. And I know that the resolution of two states in disparation for Simondon leads to the creation of a new dimension. But um, I am a little confused, I guess, as to how we get to the, the truly new um, in this notion of information when uh, the information has to be predictable and can't, can't really, or can't be entirely new. Um, yeah, I'm just trying to fi find the, um, that passage that you pointed to, uh, and you said it's 248, right? Uh, yeah, the very top of 248. Yeah, um, I think that's a good question. Um, yeah, I think for Simon Don, when we talk about something new, it, it can't be, um, uh, it can't be new in the sense of completely unprecedented or completely independent from the state of the, the system before that new element appears. Um, I think, um, like, uh, if we had novelty in that sense of something completely new, this, like, completely um, unprecedented or, or unpredictable uh, occurrence, um, that would just be randomness effectively it would it wouldn't be um novelty in the uh the more i guess um concrete sense in which we use the term uh so if, if something uh completely uh completely unpredictable happened or something that was uh um Never, that was not at all contained in the, the potentialities of the system before that new element appeared, um, then that would just be indistinguishable from random happenings uh, that had no um, uh, sort of structure to them. Um, so insofar as we are capable of uh, um, creating something new that is uh, receivable, um, so you can create a new um, a, a new form of poetry or a new form of music or um, uh, I don't know a new form of uh, uh, scientific discovery or something like that. Um, uh, but those new forms have to be receivable by other people as well. Um, so insofar as you're creating something new that is at the same time receivable. Uh, it can't be something so new or so different from what came before that it's uh, completely unprecedented or completely uh, um, uh, unpredictable. Uh, and if it were, then it would just be, uh, it would be the same as 
producing something random, like, I don't know, creating a poem uh, by, uh, you know, uh, you know, the Mad Libs method of picking up uh, um, words out of a hat or something and, and just creating a poem uh, at random. Um, so, um, yeah, so I think novelty in, in the sense of novelty as something that has a signification uh, rather than just as something completely new in the sense of um, not being inherent in what already occurred uh, has to be a, a relative novelty or a novelty that is related to um, what came before rather, th rather than something that is uh, like completely uh, unprecedented or completely unpredictable, which would just be indistinguishable from randomness. Uh, thank you. That's that's helpful. I wonder. I don't know. It, it does seem like maybe Simondon and Bergson have opposite or not totally compatible conceptions of the new. I'm not sure. I'm not sure about. Um, I would have to go back to Bergson and uh, and look at that um, uh, that bit about um, possibility and reality and and. Uh, um, whether there's such a thing as uh, as possibility before reality, um, um, but yeah, I'd have to go back and, and look at that to uh, to be able to say really. Um, so we're coming up to time now, and we're at uh, the end of a subsection. So I would suggest that we end here for today, uh, unless anyone else has any further um, like final thoughts or questions they wanted to bring up before we end. Yeah, so I'm glad everyone uh, showed up today and uh, thanks for your um, contributions and I'll see you next week.